many of us are ready for God's word? I tell you what, third service, you're my favorite service. It's the service that, that uh, has been anointed by first and second. And so it just, it just excites me to know that I've already preached the word twice and God has been refining it in my heart and I get to, I get to share it with you. Uh, having, having had it refined at least twice. And so guys, I pray that you're ready for this message. I can tell you that the enemy is upset. He's upset because of my uh, subject content. And uh, he's been upset all week long for the last two weeks. Just silly, crazy things have been happening. Uh, things that have made me just kind of sit back and go, Man, you know, that, that's not supposed to take place. Some things are harder to deal with than others. Others just make me chuckle and go, really? You're going to try to get me like that? Like internet going out. I can't even study for my message. It's perfect all week long except for the day I start to study. You know, on that day, boom, it just won't cooperate. And, and then you say, well, you don't need the internet. I do a lot of my research online because of my, then, you know, alarms going off in service and... No, I, I kid you not. It, there was like an alarm went off in, in each service. I don't know if you know that. And then uh, and at this point, second service was at first, my, my mic wouldn't work. And I'm like, it's on. They're like, plug it in, plug it in. It's plugged in. And then I just flipped it on and off, flipped it on and off. Finally, it just started working. And you think, oh, that's silly stuff. Well, maybe it's silly stuff. But I will tell you this. He's going to try to get at you in a very serious way. Not just in a silly way, but a very serious way. And I want you to know that today we're talking about spiritual warfare. And I know the enemy doesn't like us to speak about spiritual warfare because he'd rather us be ignorant or at least uh, closed off to the fact that he exists and that he has a strategy and he has a desire to, to uh, cause you harm. And today we're just going to unmask his plan. We're going to unmask him. We're going to unmask what he's up to. And, and, and we're going to, as a church believe for greater because God is moving our church and I think he's he's mad as a hornet because our church has decided that we would be serious about holiness and we have said holiness matters to us it matters to us Lord because it matters to you Lord God discipleship matters we don't want to just see people say they're Christians we want them to know what it is to walk as a Christian to know you Lord in a close and personal way God, prayer matters to us. We believe that, that there is breakthrough when God's people call upon your name. We believe that worship, worship is powerful, Father, because you are worthy of our worship. And as we begin to draw closer to you and we begin to really speak the word of God and not just, not just, just share feel-good messages, but the messages that we need to hear. Come on, how many of us know that that God's word speaks out of the need of his people, meaning sometimes you need to be encouraged, but sometimes we need to be admonished. Sometimes we need a, a good talking to and say, hey, you can do better than that. And sometimes we need to understand that there's a real spiritual fight. And you know, in God's word, there's, there's at least these eight, there might be more, there's at least these eight that I found ways that the Lord refers to the spiritual forces of darkness. And uh, the Bible refers to them as thrones, lordships, rulers of darkness, authorities, principalities and powers, evil spirits, fallen angels, demons. You say, Pastor, I could think of another. Let me know. I'll throw it up there. The truth is, God talks about the forces of evil 
in many different ways, and it's a serious matter. It really, really is. You might say, Pastor, are we going to talk about the hierarchy? Are we going to lay out the, the, the way it's all organized? I, no, because I don't know the way it's all organized. God's Word gives us some clues, but it doesn't give us an organizational chart of the enemy's uh, 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 military or, or forces, or, or doesn't tell us the way they're structured. It gives us some clues, and we'll talk about that. Today, I'm going to cover some of this, but I, I want to also take you to the book of Ephesians, where Paul makes it very clear that we are in a spiritual fight. Read with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. One version says we do not fight against flesh and blood. Another says we do not war. We do not struggle. We do not wrestle. The thing is not between us and other people. It's a spiritual fight, war, battle. Think about this with me for a second. But against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hostess of, hosts excuse me, of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul is saying as emphatically as he possibly can, you are in a spiritual fight whether you want to admit it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, it's happening. There's no choice. Now, I know some people are thinking right about now, oh man, we came on the wrong Sunday. I hate this subject matter. I don't like it. I don't like it. Others are going, yeah, finally the good stuff. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to warn both of you in just a second. Because neither... Neither is the, is, the right, is the right view. We'll talk about that more in a second. But, but I want you to know why the enemy is so upset. He's upset because in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon says, when you catch a thief, you can make him restore or pay restitution sevenfold. And some of us, come on now. Yes, some of us need to get excited about that because for far too long we've been allowing the enemy to steal from us because we've denied it, we've, we've, uh, we've ignored it, we didn't want to deal with it, we didn't think it was possible for a number of different reasons, but the enemy has been stealing from us. You might say, Pastor, tell me how. How is the enemy stealing from me? I don't sense him. I don't see it. He's stealing dreams from you. He's stealing ambition from you. He's stealing confidence and faith and the ability to walk in the promise of God's goodness. He's stealing uh, a, a desire for better or even an ability to break through in areas you've been trying to break through for years but somehow have been held back and you haven't understood why. Areas in your marriage, areas with your children, different different areas in your business and different areas in your spiritual walk where God has said, I have created you for more, but somehow you're starting to believe that maybe for others, not you. And that's because the enemy has been stealing from you. And I'm here to tell you when you catch him, when you get wise to him, when you get hip to him and you make him repay what he has stolen, then your breakthrough will come. Your breakthrough will come and it will come in Jesus name. And so I want, to let you, I want to talk about a particular passage in the book of Mark that's very familiar to many of us. It's the passage where Jesus sets the man free who was filled with demons. Now I've preached using this passage. I've even preached about this passage, but never have I brought a, a, an entire series talking about the spiritual game plan of the enemy and what we must know and how we must learn to walk in that freedom. Never have I done it until now. 
Uh, in fact, it reminds me of a time where I did preach on this passage on a mission trip. We were on a scouting trip to Belize, and we were there in the jungles of Belize in a little church, and the Lord put this, this passage on my heart. We got there, and immediately I started sensing an, an evil spirit, a very, a very demonic presence in that little church. And you say, oh, wow, can a demon enter a church? Yeah, yeah, we bring them in. That's how it happens. We bring them in. And so uh, there, was, there was this force there, and I, I could sense it very, very strong, and I felt the Lord uh, uh, say, I want you to preach on this. And then just then, um, Pastor Ann turns to me and says, the pastor says, you're going to preach tonight. And I said, I'm not ready to preach. But how many of you know that if you're a pastor, you're supposed to be ready in season and out of season, be ready at all times. And you know me, I can, I can ramble on for hours. So I just, I said, man, I can grab something and go with it. And uh, Pastor Ann turned to me and said, preach what you preached at my church last night. It was terrific. I think this would go really well. And I felt the spirit of the Lord say, no, that was for them. I have something new for, the, for this church. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach on? Legion. I'm going, oh, wow, God, that, no, no, you don't bring me out to the jungle and then have me tee them off. I don't even know my way back to Texas here. No, no, no. This ain't, you know. And so I grabbed my Bible, I kid you not, and I do what I always tell you guys not to do. Just open it up and see what else, you know. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to see what your will is. Yeah, that's the worst way to do it. But I was desperate. So I said, okay, Lord, another passage on Jesus casting out a demon. I'm going, oh, no, that's not a good one. Another passage about Jesus casting out a demon. We did it about five times. I'm like, okay, Lord. He says, how long are you going to argue with me? How long are you going to argue with me? You're going to do what I ask? I said, yes, sir. Uh, and, and before that four-hour worship service was over, and I had a chance to preach, I saw so-called Christians rolling on the ground, manifesting demonic possession, doing all sorts of things. But I'm not going to preach to you about my experience. I'm going to preach to you from God's word. If you want to hear more about the details of some of those experiences, come on Wednesday night, and I will get in detail an hour and a half message on what we need to know about, about spiritual warfare. Things that I cannot cover on Sunday morning, not because because I don't want to, but because I don't have the time. Does that make sense? So on Wednesday, I'll go deeper. Right now, I just want to read the passage to you, and let's highlight a couple of things from God's Word. Read, read with me. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, who is he? Jesus. When Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, there, now, now Mark is putting it mildly right here. Let, let's keep reading. Who had his dwellings, that means his home, that's where he lived, among the tombs. And no one could, could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart, and the shackles had been broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself. Now, I'm going to make a couple of observations here. Listen, demons love to be around death because that's what they bring. They love to be around darkness, tombs. They love to be around death, decay, uh, that that is 
that is, uh, that is of that nature. And you might say, well, well, you know, why? Because this is what they represent. This is who they are. And so you have to be careful, especially youth, when you're growing up and you're thinking, but I just like to dress like this. I, it doesn't mean anything. I just like, I just like to dress gothic and, and dark, and, I, and I, like to, I like to study the things of death, and I like to have rings representing death and necklaces. And, and No, listen, there's something deeper going on. Did I not just share with you, we don't battle just against flesh and blood. It's never just what you think. There's always something greater behind that. Not only that, but, but let me share something else with you. He lived among the tombs, and he cut himself. Anytime you see demonic possession and demonic influence or harassment, you will see a bodily mutilation accompany it because the, the enemy cannot stand what God has called good. And when God created man, it was, his, it was the pinnacle of his creation. He said, it is good. Amen? It is good. And, and the enemy wants to desecrate that and cut it and mutilate it. You saw this last week when I talked about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. When I didn't highlight it the way I am now, but when, a lot, when the prophets of Baal were calling on Baal, and, and listen, anytime you see pagan worship, it's demonic. The Bible says it is demonic. They are actually worshiping demons. And so this is the thing. The prophets of Baal began to cut themselves. Why? Because it goes hand in hand with demonic worship. Demonic influence, demonic harassment. But let's keep going. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now what's happening here? Who's talking? The demon is talking. How do we know the demon is talking? Well, we know that Jesus did not come to torment this man. Jesus came to seek and to save. Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to love, not to condemn. He came to, to bring wholeness and healing. So the one that, that's fearing torment is the demon. Now, I need you to understand something. He's talking to Jesus and he recognizes him, not just as a man, but as who? The son of the most high. He recognizes him as God. He recognizes his deity. Because let me tell you something, the demons will always recognize Jesus when he walks in the room. They know who he is. As a matter of fact, there's accounts that show they recognized him before his own people recognized him. Why? Because they knew him. They knew him from before. Now listen to this. Here we go. Then he, said, then he said to him, come out. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now I need you to understand something. They were living under the Pax Romana at this time, this whole area of Galilee and, uh, and Judea. They were living under the Pax Romana. Romana. What does that mean? Just the other day, I heard about the, uh, the Pax Americana. What does that mean? The American peace that we provide throughout the world. The Pax Romana meant that Rome, through their, through their conquering military might, created peace 
Because all these little factions that usually would war against each other, Rome kept them from doing that. And so under the Pax Romana, they had legionnaires, they had legions, and a Roman legion was 6,000, write this down if you want, 6,826 soldiers. So when he says, my name is legion, what is he saying? Oh, there's a bunch of us. He's also saying, this dude's got a problem. Come on, I want you to think about that. 6,800 plus demons in this man. And he answered him saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. You know what else you you can pick out about demons in this passage? They hate to be sent out of the country and displaced from where they've been ministering, where they've been operating, because they have an organization and they work for the enemy's uh, under the enemy's jurisdiction, and they have a territory that they, that they are responsible for. We'll talk more about that from the book of Daniel. But I'm here to tell you, they're begging him not to. And now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000, 2,000 what? 2,000 pigs. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, I want to highlight a couple of other things. Don't you find it refreshing that these powerful demons that have seized this man and controlling him, having him break chains, having him break shackles, having him act in these horrible ways. When Jesus comes to, they are completely submissive. They are begging for this. They are begging for that. They are recognizing him as the most high and they are asking for every sit. Come on now. I want you to know that demons are a big deal. Yes, they are. They can cause you and they can cause a lot of harm to your family, to the church, and they can do a lot. They can raise a lot of havoc and create a lot of destruction. But let me tell you something. Jesus is greater still. And I want to remind you of how this thing ends. At the very end, when Jesus comes and defeats the armies of the, of the evil one, it's not even a fight. You keep thinking that it's a fight because the enemy keeps building up armies and he builds up armies and he presents himself at the, at the uh, battle of Megiddo. They're in that, in, that, in that perfect battleground place that Napoleon said, this surely is the best battleground I've ever seen. He presents himself there. Now I want you to understand something. When Jesus shows up, there's no fight. With a word, he defeats the enemy and his... And his forces, with a word, when he gets tired and at the end he's done with the enemy, he's had it up to here, he's, filled his, he's fulfilled his purpose and he's calling us home and he throws him into the pit, he doesn't even go do it himself. Now that's awesome. You're not worth my time, dude. He sends an angel to do it. Now I love it because can you imagine, I'm just, I'm just using my imagination. The angels of the Lord are there and Jesus says, it's done, I'm, I've, I've had it with him, it's time, go throw him in the pit. And the angels go, like who, which one of us, Michael, Gabriel? You know, these are the high up angels and, and, and Jesus says, send the new guy. 
Send him. Just make sure you tell him to say in Jesus' name. The name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. There is none like him. None like him. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed, who had had the legion sitting there, clothed, right at the right, at the right hand of God, I mean, just at at Jesus' side in his right mind. That's pretty cool. And they're like, this is the guy that was... How many of you think they should be happy? Watch the next phrase. They were. Can I speak to someone who is maybe a little fearful right now? The enemy would love for you to be fearful. He would love for you to say, oh, I wish I hadn't come on this Sunday. I wish pastor was talking about something else. I wish we didn't have to talk about demonology. I wish we didn't have to talk about spiritual things. I wish. But that's the thought of an unbeliever. That's a thought of someone who doesn't know the power of the living God. No, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Stay with me on that for a second. Let's finish this passage and then we'll go to this. Watch. And those who saw it told them how it had happened and to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart. What? See, that's, that's what the enemy would love for you to do, to be afraid and to say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Pastor, stop talking. Jesus, go away. Just, just, let's not, this is for, can't we just all get along? And then he asked him if he could go with him. That's the next verses. Jesus said, no, I need you to go to your home. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis. You say, what's Decapolis? Is that a city? It's actually a 10-city region. Deca means 10. Palus, metropolitan, is where we get the word metropolitan. And that means cities. A metropolitan area of 10 Greek cities. That's why, the, that's why the swine were there, because they were feeding the Greek cities. You have that right there. I showed you the, the, the map. The cities that he began to preach in were Greek cities there in that Decapolis region. Now, this is why we need to be careful of our response. Because the Bible says very, very clearly in the book of John, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. See, it's not enough to get scared and say, I don't want to hear it or or just go away. You have to know the truth because the truth makes you free. My people perish because they do not know. For a lack of revelation, they just do not understand what's happening. Listen to what else he says in the very few verses later. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Meaning when you get to know the truth and you get to know the Son, then that's how you get free. You say, but pastor, is the Bible the Son and is the Son the Bible? Yes. See, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You will know the truth. You will know the Son who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. When you know God's word and you have the knowledge of who he is and you can walk it in faith, then you shall be free. You shall be free. You say, Pastor, okay, I'm ready. If you're ready, then I need you to understand point number one, demons are real. Demons are real. But, but I want to ask you a very important question that I know you're already thinking, and, and so we might as well get it out there. Can a Christian be in bondage? No, 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 that's not my question. Come on, pastor, you're, not, you're, not, you're, you're kind of skirting around the issue. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll come right to it. Can a Christian be possessed? I won't answer it just yet, but we will before we get done. First, I want to share with you that demons are real. As a matter of fact, listen to what the Gospels say about them. I don't know if you know this, but 21 passages dealing with Jesus casting out or his followers casting out demons in the New Testament. 21 passages. Now, I also need you to understand that in the New Testament, some 82 times demons are referenced and some 60 times they are referenced in the Gospels. And Jesus here talks about him and his disciples talk about it. In the book of Matthew, we read in chapter 8, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. Come on, somebody say, with a word. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't a big deal for him. They, they held nothing over Jesus with one word. It's just like, it's done. It's easy. And, and healed all who were sick. Watch what he says in the very next chapter and, they, chapter. and they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, this has never been done, has never been done, has never been seen in all of Israel. Who is this guy? Isn't this awesome? He's showing that he is ruler of all. How about in Matthew 17, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Mark gets in on this and he says, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. In chapter 6 of Mark, he says, So they went out and preached to the people uh, that, that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. So you might be asking yourself, well, Pastor, what exactly is a demon? Is a demon a fallen angel? Some and some of my heroes in the faith believe that demons are fallen angels. You might have been brought up that way and you might have that same theology and that's okay. I don't think we should argue about that because it's, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I happen to have a different thought. I don't believe that demons are fallen angels. And I'll tell you why. Because when you see angels, including fallen angels, they have certain characteristics that I see different in the New Testament. In the New Testament, demons are described slightly different and have different characteristics and uh, a different MO, so to speak, a way of operating. Now, you say, okay, well, well, how? See, 
Fallen angels, including angels, because I need you to understand something. A fallen angel is an angel who's no longer in heaven. He's on earth, creating havoc and serving the purposes of the devil. Okay? For we, we have no reason to believe that they lost their powers, because the Bible doesn't say he stripped them of their powers or he took them of, uh, or, or any of these things. They have their abilities. So let's share a couple of things about what we know about angels and fallen angels. They always appeared in a bodily form. The demons in the New Testament are disembodied spirits. They need a body. That's why he said, please don't send us out to wander. We need a body. Send us to the pigs at least. Okay? Another thing is... You see them interacting, the angels, when they came to Sodom and Gomorrah. They ate with, with, with Lot, uh, I mean, excuse me, with uh, Abraham. They interacted, they came in. They're able to speak, take men by the hands, and eat meals. We also see their power when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see their power when it came to the resurrection and how they moved the stone back. We see their power and their ability to have human contact in that they have, uh, uh, they're, they're able to enter into not only human contact, but, but physical combat. How so? Well, think about the time in Egypt during the Passover. When the angel of the Lord, what? He struck down every male firstborn child. Not only of human, but of animal too. You see them go against the Assyrian, I mean the, uh, the Syrian army, and they struck down how many of the Syrians? 185,000. You see, when David took the the, the census against God's will and the angel was sent to punish his people, how many that angel was able to kill and how much. And, and so you say, why would an angel ever need one of our bodies? Fallen or not. Uh, another thing I want you to, because I need you to also realize that the Bible says that we are lower than the angels, higher than the animals, but lower than the angels. That's why it's very important that we not try to make ourselves better than we are, because when we make ourselves better than we are, we can suffer from pride. We, can, we also shouldn't make ourselves lower than we are. And that's what the world tries to do, tries to give us just basic animal qualities or just animals. So we start acting like animals. No, we're higher than the animals, but lower than the angels. That's what the Bible says. So I need you to understand something. The Bible also says that the angels have no need to marry in heaven. Nor will we have a need to be married in heaven because there would be no need for procreation. See, when you're immortal, you don't have to reproduce yourself because you're going to live forever. Doesn't say they cannot procreate. It just says they don't. Now, these are the angels in heaven. I need you to understand something. The fallen angels did, in fact, procreate. You can look that up in the book of Genesis just before the flood. One of the reasons God brought the flood was because these fallen angels took the daughters of men, they began to have a, a hybrid race called the Nephilim, or giants. I don't have to tell you about the numerous times that, that skeletons have been found 
of giants only to disappear? Anyway, that's another, you might think, this guy has gone way off. But, but, but I, I want to highlight a couple of things for you. Why would the enemy want to infiltrate the human race? Because, Jesus, because God himself at the garden told the serpent, told de- the devil, that it would be by the seed of a woman that your head will be crushed. How better to undo God's prophecy and to call him a liar than to what? Take this human race and completely pollute it. God brought the flood, wiped them all out, and and I believe that this is a good possibility. It's a mystery now, okay? So I'm not, you you can study it, and it's fun to study these things. These demons may not be fallen angels, but actually the offspring of the fallen angels that were killed during the flood and now have no body to call their own. And so they wander looking You say, well, either way, I don't want them. (laughs) Exactly. Whether they're fallen angels or dead Nephilim, I don't want them, and you shouldn't either. And so there's some serious stuff going on here, guys. See, the truth is, C.S. Lewis put it best. Satan hails the skeptic and the superstitious alike. What What does that mean? It means he likes them both. Because this is what happens if you're the superstitious, you're going, oh, pastor, I'm so glad you finally got to the good stuff. Let me tell you something. Grace is the good stuff. Mercy is the good stuff. This ain't the good stuff. This is just stuff we have to deal with, but it ain't the best that God's word has. So if you're looking for a demon behind every bush and under every rock, then Satan has you right where he wants you because you're going to over-exaggerate what he can do. Now, if you're over here as a skeptic saying, ah, I don't believe in any of it. Listen, when I was younger, I used to love watching boxing and I used to box uh, in, in college and I, I love boxing. I see my, my fellow boxer over there. He's saying, yeah, listen, there's, a, there's something that the, the announcers always say. They say the punch that knocks you out is the one you don't the one you don't see coming. So let me tell you something. Satan would love to have you believe he doesn't exist so he can knock you out. That way you'll never see him coming. The truth is he exists. And if you're on one of the edges, you need to move to the middle. You need to come and have a well, sober understanding of who you are in Christ, of the spiritual battle you face, and that Jesus Christ is the answer, and his truth will never fail you. It's his truth that will set you free. When you have that understanding, then you're ready to take ground. You're ready to move forward. And number two is demons, yes, are real, number one, but number two, demon strongholds are real. What do I mean by demon strongholds? I mean their influence, their ability to get in and create a fortified place where they control, where they begin to call shots and begin to influence and begin to establish their way. You say, well, show me a verse. Well, read with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, stop living like the world. They're under the influence of the demonic. They're the ones that, that, that they operate in. You're supposed to be children of the light. You're called to be different. 
And so he says, watch this. He says, stop living like those other guys in the futility of their thinking. What does futility mean? Just, just break it down. If someone says to resist is futile, means there's no hope. Their, 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 their thinking has no consequence. But, but keep going with me. They are darkened in their understanding. Can I tell you, the first way the enemy will attack you is always in your mind. Because if he can attack your mind, he changes your understanding. He cuts you off from the things of God and the knowledge of God. And when you have no knowledge of God and he changes the knowledge of God, then you have no ability to walk in, in faith. Because faith comes by hearing and understanding God's word. So watch this. Darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God. I just said that. He wants to separate you from God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of your heart. Once he goes from the mind, he goes to the heart, tries to harden your heart, losing, having a loss of sensitivity. So now you can no longer perceive what the Holy Spirit is sharing with you because you have been cut off from the things of God and you are now being awakened to the things of darkness. Okay, we'll keep going on this. After he has you lose or sears that consciousness, so we talk about also in the book of Romans, he talks about it in the book of Romans, you begin to give yourself over to a sensual desire. That means lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, with a continual lust for more. He's leading you to destruction. That's what the enemy wants to do. You say, Pastor, wow. Okay, but watch what else Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. That means they are not carnal. They are not fleshly. They are not what? Natural. But they are mighty through God or, or in God. That means they are supernatural for pulling down what? The strongholds that the enemy is trying to put up in your mind, in your heart, to keep you from feeling the Holy Spirit. That's what the, the, the power of God is able to do. These are your weapons, casting down arguments, casting down this worldly reason, this worldly knowledge, this worldly ideas that they can explain things and and, and constantly flip and flop all the things of God's word, even though God's word clearly says something's wrong, they try to re-explain it. Cast it down, it says. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, there it is again. There it is. That, that ability to understand God's word. That's where the stronghold will take place first, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Isn't this amazing? You say, okay, pastor, man, I just want to know, can a Christian be possessed? No, a Christian cannot be possessed if you're talking about possession as ownership. Because if you belong to Christ, then he doesn't share his bride and he doesn't share you. You belong to him. He owns you. The Bible says you've been bought and paid for at a high price. It's the blood of Jesus. He paid it on the cross for you. You are a new creation. You cannot be possessed in terms of ownership, but can you be influenced? See, there's two words in the Greek that we need to understand, or, or you might say the word possessed has two meanings. What are those meanings? 
have in possession, that means to own, or to take possession of, that means to win, or to have mastery, or to temporarily win a battle. Doesn't mean you win the war, win a battle. Okay, so from that standpoint, can a demon win battles over Christians? Can a demon take influence over a Christian? Can a demon or a horde of demons take control so that that Christian is not listening to the Spirit of God but begins to listen to the things of this world? Absolutely it can. And so that's what we need to understand because sometimes I think we get so caught up in, no, 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 a Christian cannot be possessed. Meanwhile, the enemy's saying, I don't care to have you own you. I care to, to use you and destroy your witness and the promise that God has spoken over you so that all that see will not give God glory, but instead you bring him shame and reproach. And so <clears throat> what I want us to understand is what, what is going on here. I want you to read with me in the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 19. The Bible says, and this is Jesus, by your patience, possess your souls. Now, is he saying possess your souls in terms of owning them? No. He's saying take control, take influence over them. This is the same word that's used oftentimes when speaking about the influence of demons. We know that our souls already belong to God, so God would not be talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know, take ownership of your souls. No, take control. Take control. Listen, let me put it to you this way. Let's say you go home from here and you find that you have left your house unsecure and there is a thief inside of it. Does he own your home? If that thief, he or she is sitting right in your living room and they've taken control or influence over it, do they own your home? No, pastor, the mortgage company owns my home. <laughs> you know? The tax man owns my home. No, no, listen, you own your home because you're the one paying for it. And if they come to turn off the light, they're going to turn it off because you didn't pay for it and you're going to be sitting in the dark. And so, so this is the way it works. That thief might have temporarily have influence. Listen, that he has taken how? Without authority and illegally. Jesus says when you find that thief, you must tie him up. You must go in there and deal with him. Send a stronger power in there to deal with him. Send Jesus. Send the power of the living God to deal with him. So, so, so watch this. That home doesn't stop being yours, but yet if you leave a door open, it can be influenced. It can be infiltrated. I'm going to put it to you another way. The book, uh, the book of Ephesians again, chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be darkened in your understanding. Do not get it twisted. Understand so that you can see what's important, but understand what God's or the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine. Is it possible for a Christian, let's say I start drinking at first service, by the time I get through with third service, am I gonna be under my influence or the influence of something else? Can that happen? Or because I'm a Christian, I can drink all the wine I want and never be under the influence. I'm a Christian in Jesus' name. No, I can open up doors, can I not? I can let certain things, because God has given me free will. 
And so it's possible, that's what the Bible is saying here. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to other things that you never would have done in your right mind. Can I give you a list of other things? Not just wine, drugs, pornography, all sorts of sexual things that God says are wrong. But, but those are the easy ones to point the finger at. What else? Gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. Do you know that, that, that God says, God says, don't let the enemy have a foothold in that, in that book of Ephesians, and he's specifically talking about anger. Anger can bring in the enemy faster than anything. You know what else? Greed. Greed. Yeah. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, the Bible says. Not money, but the love of money. That's greed. What else? Offense. Taking on an offense opens up a door. Why? Because he's trying to sever you from God and the authority that God has over you. No, no, think about this with me for a second. In a minute, I'll bring this all full circle. But we take on people's offenses. We take on other people's offenses. Do you know that the Bible uses the word for offense? Escandalon means a hook, a baited trap. Set by a demon to ensnare you. You have to be careful that, why? We've already told you. Anything that God has created as good, the enemy will try to destroy. He's going to try to destroy the fellowship in your family. He's going to try to destroy the fellowship with your children. He's going to try to destroy the fellowship with God and with your church. And he's a rebellious. He's a rebellious spirit. And you can know that he will go against the God-given authority. He will go against everything that God has called good. And everything that God has put in order. So you say, okay, pastor, now you, you got me convinced. What else do you want me to know? This is where we finish. Demons come to steal, kill, and destroy. Demons come to kill, steal, and destroy. Now there's a passage in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 40 through 41. Paul is speaking to his people. I need you to stay with me because this is where we finish. Paul is speaking to his people and he says this, beware, therefore, least... What has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days. And he goes on. And you might be thinking, yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> My understanding's already darkened. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. The reason we don't understand it is because we don't study the Old Testament prophets the way we should. And the way they did. He's hearkening back to a very specific prophet. And that prophet is the prophet of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is found there in the Old Testament. About five books from the end. So if you want to look it up. Habakkuk chapter 5. I mean chapter 1 verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days. Which you would not believe. Though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now, who are the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans were an, a brutal group of people that conquered the known world back in ancient times. And they ended up conquering Assyria and Babylon. You say, but these are the people that 
God called Abraham out of. Yes, that's why God calls you out of that evil and into the light. But just like God's people, if they're not careful, can enter back into what? Bondage. Just like Abraham's people entered back into bondage to the who? Chaldeans. The Babylonians are the ones that conquered them. We'll talk about this in a little bit and again more on on Wednesday night. But this is what I want you to understand about the Chaldeans. What did they come to do? Which marched through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They came to steal from you guys. They came to steal from you. To take what is not theirs. What else do we know about the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans, according to exhaustive dictionary of Bible names, Chaldeans, as it were, are demons. The root word means to lay waste, to destroy. It also means wanderers. What did Jesus call evil spirits in the New Testament? Well, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, I'm almost done. We see that unclean spirits go out of a man and they go throughout dry places seeking rest, finding none. Then they say to themselves, we will go back. Why? Jesus specifically said they will go wandering. They're called wanderers. So you say to yourself, okay, but tell me more about this, 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 this thing between the Chaldeans and demons. See, Paul was not speaking about a, a group of people that had long been destroyed. Because if he's saying this to the people in the book of Acts, to the New Testament church, watch out for the Chaldeans. They're going to be like, wait a minute. Those guys were destroyed back with Babylon in the Old Testament. No, what he's saying is just like the Chaldeans represented this evil in the physical, the demons are like the Chaldeans representing evil to the Christian in the spiritual. In the spiritual, you need to make the connection of what they come to do. They come to steal. They come to kill. And they come to destroy. Why? Because they, they do the work of their father, Satan. And that's what he does. You say, wow, pastor, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to talk a whole lot more about the Chaldeans on Wednesday night and how to make all those distinctions. But, but watch Read with me out of Daniel chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I'll put it up here and, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll read it and then we'll bring it to a close. This is it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. The only way you can be given into the hand of a demonic force is for you to turn your back on God. To do it yourself and to say, Lord, I know you say I shouldn't open this door, but I'm going to open it anyway. I know you say that sorcery is wrong, but I'm going to open it anyway. I know you say that horoscopes are wrong, but I'm going to open it anyway. I know you say that no one should be reading my palms, but I'm going to have them read them anyway. I know you say that tarot cards are evil, but I'm going to practice them anyway. It's just for fun. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. We're here in New Orleans, so I might as well go along. If you're in Rome, then do... No. No. Well, the Ouija board is here and we're just playing or whatever it might be. I know it's wrong to pick up offenses. I know it's wrong to gossip. I know it's wrong to be angry. I know it's wrong to be any of these things, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
So watch what happens when he comes in. He took the articles of the house of God. And then what did he do? Then the king instructed the master of his eunuchs, bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the noble, young men in whom there was no blemish and good-looking, gifted in wisdom, I would have been taken. (laughs) Yeah, that hurts me that you laugh so loud. (laughs) Listen, they're taking the best we have. Our future is the best we have. When you let demons into the church, they're stealing our kids. But right here, you find, watch this. And the king appointed them to have daily provision of the king's delicacies of wine, which, they, which he would drink. And three years of training, he was tempting them with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life. How does the pride of life listen? You know, one of the biggest doors that the enemy wants you to hold open is to take what's not yours. Take the treasury of God's temple. When you hold back your tithe, you're leaving an open door for the enemy. You go, no, I'm not. Well, tell me if there's something more proud than saying, Lord, I don't have to honor you. I know the teaching, but I'm, that's proud. We'll talk more about pride in the weeks to come. But, but if you go to, to Habakkuk 15, watch this. Watch this. Habakkuk 15. They take up all of them with hook, with a hook. They catch them in their nets. They gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Do you realize that a very similar word is used in the New Testament when the, when the demonic forces set traps of offense for Christians to get offended? It's a baited hook. That's how demons work. So, I hear you, Pastor. Demons are real. Demon strongholds are real. Now, number three, but Jesus is greater still. Jesus is greater still. Jesus sends his 70 out and watch what they come back and say. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Can you see the excitement? And they go out and Jesus says, cast out demons, set the captives free, make the heal the sick. And they come out and they go, they come back and they go, yeah, we healed the lame. We healed everybody. We're standing up rejoicing. But the one that was really cool, there was some bad demon possessed people. And in your name, Lord, all we had to do was say in your name. And they, they were set free. And can you get the impression that Jesus is not impressed? He's happy for them. So he's like, Wow, I'm I'm so happy for y'all, but you ain't seen nothing yet. My name is a whole lot more powerful than a few demons. This is awesome. Watch. Let's go to Mark. Let's go to Mark 5, 6. I, I don't think you caught that. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And not even 6,800 and... 26, a legion of demons could keep him from coming to Jesus. This is the beautiful part. 
When you decide you want to go to Jesus, nothing can keep you. Nothing can hold you. Nothing can hold you back. There's nothing greater than the name of Jesus. This is what I want you to understand with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. The only person that cannot be set free is the person that doesn't want it. The person that finds an excuse. The person in their pride that says, I don't need it. The person in their, in their warped way of thinking says, I'm too far gone, but for whatever reason stays back. But the one who... Come on, I'm trying to help you. The one who runs to Jesus and worships shall be set free. Now you might be here today and you might be tempted to say, well, pastor, how do I know if I need this? Is there an area of your life that needs to be set free because you've had a stronghold for far too long? Well, pastor, that's not really a stronghold. It's just a weakness. No, no, it's not a weakness. That's how it started. It started as a weakness, but the enemy came in and is now a stronghold. How do we know? Because if you ever have an area where you say, Lord, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And again, you go, Lord, I'm so, and, and day after day after day and week after week and month after month and time after time, there's just no freedom and you just can't break through and it just keeps holding you and keeps having power over you. That's a stronghold. Maybe you sense the enemy's messing with your marriage right now. Maybe you sense he's coming in and infiltrating your thoughts. On Wednesday night, I'm going to talk about how they always attack at night. Well, that's when the attack is the strongest. Maybe you're having unclean dreams. Maybe you're having depression. Maybe you're having different things that you know is not of God. That could be a stronghold. So this is what we're going to do right here, right now. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up. And if the Holy Spirit has talked to you and spoken to you in your heart and you feel like, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you, Lord Jesus. I'm gonna ask you not to let anything hold you back. You run to Jesus and you ask for help. You say, pray over me. I want anger gone. I want greed gone. I want fear gone, depression gone, whatever it is that the enemy's trying to use as a stronghold in your life, I want it gone in Jesus' name. Won't you come? If you want to pray at the altar, you can come and just kneel and pray at the altar. no shame there's no fear it's gone come to Jesus don't let anything stop amen